we're starting a new series of, of lessons uh, this evening. We're, we're, we're just calling it Psalms for Supernatural Living. And, and uh, we're going to take a look at a few of the Psalms from the Bible. And we're going to talk about how the power of God can be unleashed in our lives through the Word of God and different things that we can learn through those Psalms. We're going to be starting in Psalm 103. And, you know, we're really living in difficult days. We're living in confusing times. And, and the truth is... Right now, more than ever, we need the supernatural power of God in our lives. And Psalm 103 uh, helps us find supernatural power during tough times. And so I want you to read together with me. Psalm 103, I'm reading from the modern English version, says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord does righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. Would you just take a moment and pray together with me? Holy Spirit, I know that, that you uh, filled the, the mind and the spirit of David to write this beautiful psalm. And I also know, Lord, that a, apart from your, your ministry, we cannot possibly uh, hope to receive what it is that you're trying to communicate to us. So, And Lord, I know that I'm not the teacher uh, tonight in this situation. Nobody here needs to hear anything from me. But God, I just pray that you would just come, Holy Spirit, come into this place. Heavenly Father, pour out your Holy Spirit in our lives, the spirit of faith, the spirit of revelation, the spirit of witness, the spirit of truth. Open our minds together, Lord, that we might receive wondrous th things out of your word. And I believe you for this. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, there are many, many psalms that are so rich in their language that people just absolutely love to read them. They love to quote them out loud. They, they just love to, to, to hear them. Like Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm, one of the most famous passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. And, and, and people love that. And there are so many Psalms that are well known. They're just treasured uh, in the hearts of so many people. But you know, for some people, they, they may find it difficult to, to get past the, the poetic form of the Psalms, and maybe the, it's hard to get past the wandering nature of the Psalms. I mean, you can read a, a, a Psalm and you, th you can think to yourself, this Psalm is talking about 19 different things in about six verses, and it, it can be hard to try to sort of tie it all together. Now, I think one way that we can begin to, to draw great meaning and, and, and great depth from the Psalms is, is whenever possible, if we can just juxtapose the Psalms over the life of King David. Now, David did not write all of the Psalms, but he did write most of them, including Psalm 103. And we know the context of David's life, the situation uh, that, that he, was, he found himself in many of the Psalms that he wrote. For example, Psalm 51 was, was produced out of the nightmare that David was experiencing when, uh, when his adulterous affair with, affair with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah and his attempt to, to try to cover up all those things, when that was exposed public, publicly, that was, that was going on when he wrote Psalm 51. And so we know the context of his life that produced that. 
The context of David's life for Psalm 103, however, we do not know. Therefore, my guess is just as good as anybody else's. Uh, the, 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 uh, now, I'm, I'm telling you right up front, I want you to understand, I, I don't know. I, I'm not telling you that I have some private revelation on this, so don't go out telling everybody that Pastor Dave knows the situation that David was living in when he wrote Psalm 103. I'm, I'm telling you I don't know, and neither does anyone else. But, and if, you've, if you read the commentary, almost any commentary on Psalm 103, almost all of them will say that the psalm was written during David's later life, at the peak of his career, when everything was just great and everything was wonderful and everything was just fine. Now, that may well be. That may well be. However, we don't know that for sure. Therefore, just for the sake of getting a different view on Psalm 103, I want us to turn it upside down, historically speaking, and in order to get a different vantage point to see this psalm. So instead of seeing Psalm 103 as being written during the best time in David's life, let's look at Psalm 103 as if it was being written during the worst time of David's life. If, because listen, if a man can praise God when everything is going good, that's wonderful, that's fine, that's great, but that's easy. However, let me say to you, when praise is easy, praise is cheap. However, when praise makes no sense, when it makes no sense, then praise has power. When, when praise makes absolute no, absolutely no sense, when everything is wrong, when Murphy's Law is in full effect, that's when praise has the greatest power in our lives. You know, listen, if you've had a great day today, if, I mean, if everything went perfectly for you, you couldn't imagine, imagine life being any better for you than it is right now, then I want you to receive this teaching and I want you just to sort of wrap it up uh, for safekeeping and, and just put it away in a secret place somewhere and, and remember where it is because someday, <laughs> someday you're going to have a really horrible day. And when that day comes, I want you to, to take this back down and unwrap it and then just breathe in the aroma of what it is that I'm going to give to you today because I believe that's when it will be of the most importance for you. Listen, praise has power. Unsearchable, unlimited, mysterious power. I, I don't even fully understand the power of praise, but I know it's real. But I also want you to know this. The moment praise has the most power is when it is the most difficult. When praise is the most expensive, that's when it's the most precious. I mean, can you praise God when everything's going good? Of course, so, so can I. However, I find that doesn't really change much. It, it, it makes the good slightly better maybe. But on the other hand, when everything is going bad that can go bad... And when I find myself in that situation, if I can then praise God, if I can just do it, and I'm not, I'm not telling you that I've mastered this at all. I'm telling you that I know that's what's right in this, in this situation. In those moments when I can praise in tough times, I find that it unlocks tremendous power. This is supernatural power in tough times. And if there's ever been any uh, time in, in history that we needed it, it's right now. Now, as we look at this, what could be the possible scenario for David? Now, again, I'm telling you, we don't know. 
but, but, but what could be the worst possible moment of David's life. There are, there are many that we could choose from. Uh, you know, I'm really fascinated with the life of King David. In fact, uh, just last year, we, we did a, a series of studies on the life of David. That's all available on our website at restorationlifechurch.tv. You can find that and listen to it if you like. I, I really enjoyed that study, and I think you'll find a lot of truth there that will help you in your life. But, but, but uh, you know, I'm fascinated with David. I, I mean, it's just fascinating to me how uh, the powerful ways in which God would use David and then he would turn around and be capable of the most heinous crimes that you can imagine. And yet, in the middle of all that, God still called him a man after God's own heart. And I see in David's life uh, something to address our lives in almost every turn of events. So, what might be the most dreadful moment in David's life? You know, I think about that and I like to visualize David in the cave of Adullam. Now, let me just remind you of how David came to be in the cave of, of Adullam. If you remember, when David had to, to flee from Saul be, because of Saul's horrible jealousy and envy, when he fled from Saul's presence, David went to Ramah, where the prophet Samuel had, had, he, he had set up a school of the prophets. He was sort of running a little charismatic Bible school up in the mountains and a little Pentecostal school for preachers up there. It was like a prophet's camp. And David fled Saul and he went there. Now, when Saul found out that's where he was, that he sent soldiers up for him to bust David and to bring him back down to the capital city. And so they arrived one night just about the time the evening chapel service was about to begin. And they decided they'd wait outside the window and wait until the chapel service was over. And then they would bust David in the parking lot. And, and as it would happen, the Holy Spirit uh, showed up and, he, and uh, he began to move in such power that that, that power sort of flew, flowed out those windows and, and came upon them. And they jumped up and, be, uh, uh, and began to, uh, we're just simply told they began to prophesy over David. Now, we don't fully know what that means. The, the words of the prophecy are not recorded. However, given the context of the situation, I believe that the character of the prophecy uh, was that they began to prophesy about the greatness of the king anointed by the prophet Samuel. I mean, just imagine this. I mean, do doesn't God have a sense of humor? Is this funny or what? These are the soldiers sent to arrest David, and they jumped to their feet, and I believe they began to prophesy and begin to say, Blessed be the, the high king David. God has taken the throne from, from Saul, and he's going to give it to you. God has taken the crown off of Saul's head, and he's going to place it on your head. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah to God for the life and ministry of David, the king of Israel. <laughs> and I just imagine them saying this, and all of a sudden they're like, what did I just say? So they turn around and, and they, they flee. They go back down to Saul. And they get back down to Saul and he says, well, was he up there? They say, he was up there. Did you see him? Oh, we, we saw him. Did you arrest him? And they said, well, well, your majesty, it's just not that simple. And Saul says, you bunch of idiots. And so, so he sends another group of soldiers and the same thing happens again. Finally, you know, Saul's like a lot of us. He finally gets to the point where he says, listen, if you want to have, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. And so he takes a detachment of soldiers and heads up to arrest David himself. And he goes up to Ramah 
the chapel service is about to begin and, and he decides I'll get him in the parking lot when he goes out to his car. And so he crouches down in the bushes outside the window and the, they begin to worship God and, and they begin praising God inside there and the spirit of prophecy descends in that, in that room and, and it flows out that window and into the bushes and it falls on Saul. I mean, isn't this just rich? And, and it says that Saul began to prophesy. Now again, we don't know what he said, but obviously the word of his prophecy spread throughout Israel. Uh, Saul stood up and said, blessed be David, the son of Jesse. God has anointed you as, as king over his people Israel, and he, he will take the throne from me and give it to you, and he's going to take the crown off of my head and put it on your head. I give thanks to God and glory and honor to God for David. <laughs> it says that after that moment, it, it became sort of a tongue-in-cheek proverb that was said throughout Israel. They said, oh, is Saul also numbered among the prophets? They were, they were laughing at him. And the word spread throughout the kingdom that Saul had prophesied that David, his arch enemy, was going to be the king. And the pe people of all of Israel laughed at him. And so Saul then re retreats back to the capital city. Now David, think about this. He has been Supernatural, supernaturally protected by the hand of Almighty God three times. Now, inexplicably, amazingly, David makes what I believe to be one of the stupidest decisions of his life. Not sinful, but stupid. I think we've all made those kind of decisions before. I mean, why didn't he just sit still? Is he safe? He is. Is he protected by the hand of God? He is. I mean, has the Lord three times supernaturally turned the enemies, his enemies into his friends and caused them to prophesy over him? He has. And David says, man, they're about to get me. He says, they've come three times and the next time they come, God may not protect me. So he leaves, amazingly. And he, he goes to Gath. Now that in itself is astonishing. He leaves Ramah and flees to Gath. I mean, this is so dumb that, that even with the distance of 4,000 years, I still can't understand it. Why would he go to Gath? I mean, listen, who was the favorite son of Gath? Who was the most famous person in the Bible to come from the city of Gath? It was, it was Goliath. It was Goliath. Goliath came from Gath, and David has recently killed Goliath. He's cut his head off in front of the army, all of the army of, of the Philistines, and in front of Goliath's four brothers. They all saw it, and David flees from Ramah and goes to Gath? Well, I mean, what do you think they were going to do? They think that he think that they were going to make him mayor of the city or something? I just don't understand it at all, but... David runs to Gath, and of course, they fall on him like a pack of wolves. And they capture him, they go to the king, and they say, we, we've got David. And Saul locked up in the prison, uh, excuse me, David locked up in the prison house in, in Gath. He remembers an ancient Philistine superstition that says that it's bad luck to kill a madman, so he begins to feign madness. I mean, you thought Shakespeare thought of this? No, 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 he did not. David thought of this. Shakespeare only borrowed it from David. David begins to pretend to be a madman. I mean, uh, eating dirt and foaming at the mouth and biting on his arm and shaking all over and everything that, uh, like that. And they come in and they see him acting like this and they say, well, look, 
he's gone crazy. Dad gummit, we wanted to kill him. And so they take him out of the prison and the Philistines chase him out of town and he runs howling out of, out of town into the hills fleeing the Philistines. And, in, and then he takes refuge in the cave of Adullam, alone, naked, humiliated, defeated. And Saul, I mean, Saul has declared him to be an outlaw. And, and that means that anyone who finds him has the, has the permission to kill him with impunity. And, and not only with impunity, but, but it will be considered an act of patriotism if they do so. His father and mother now have to flee to Moab because they're afraid. His, his wife, Michael, has been given to another man. He's, he's completely without friends, completely without help, completely without support, no strength, no food, alone, defenseless, and without future in a lonely cave on the backside of the wilderness. That's the bottom, my friend. That is the bottom. And in that moment... I picture David sitting down on a boulder. He reaches into his knapsack, pulls out an old battered guitar, and he begins to strum. And David starts singing, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You see, when you read this, that first sentence is a command. To whom is David speaking? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. You see, that's a command. That's David speaking to David. That is David reaching down inside and catching hold of the bootstraps of his own soul. And he's saying, all right, praise God. Go on, soul. Bless God. I command you. That's David taking authority over his emotions and over his psyche and over his mental faculties and over his feelings. And he's summoning whatever resources he has left and he's directing them in praise towards God. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, I commend it. You know what? There are times in our lives when praise flows from our lips easily. But there are other times when you have to, have to catch hold of the shreds of your emotions and say, all right, praise God because it's right. Praise God because he deserves it. Praise God because I command it. Feet, I, I command you to praise God. Hands, you raise up to him and praise God. Lips, stop that quivering. Eyes, dry up and praise God. There has to come those times, and that's what I, that's what I hear David doing in this moment. David is catching hold of himself and he's saying, I have no friends, I have no future, I have no fortune, I have no health, I have no hope except in God. Therefore, if I stop praising God, I lose everything. You know, David is extremely practical in the direction that he takes. He begins in verse 2 by reminding himself of good things that God has done for him in the past. He says, Forget not all his benefits. Now, if you look, you'll see that he, he begins to enumerate all of these benefits, starting in verse 3. Excuse me, starting in verse 2. We'll start there. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit 
Don't you know that when he wrote that, David was encouraging his own heart as he, as he knows that, that the next person that appears in the mouth of that cave with a sword in, his, in one hand and a shield in another hand is going to kill him with a smile on his face and he's going to believe that he's doing it uh, for God and he's doing a good thing for Israel. And he says in that moment, the Lord redeems my life from the pit sitting in the cave. He goes on, verse 4, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Do you see that? David says, if, if, I never, if I never wear the crown of Israel, God has already crowned me with, with loving kindness. Look at verse, verse 5, who satisfies your mouth with good things. Now listen, you know what, when you're holed up in the back of a cave with nothing to eat but, but fried lizard, it's a good thing to remind yourself that God has filled your mouth with good things. You know, I, I remember a time I, I took a missions trip a number of years ago to the Philippines, to the city of Manila. And I remember near the end of that trip, we had gathered together with many of the, the, the native Filipinos. And, and we were having a meal together and enjoying a good time of fellowship. And a group of them uh, asked that they, they really wanted a, to share a delicacy that they loved so much. Uh, and, they, and they wanted to know if anybody would be willing to eat this delicacy that they, that they had. And, and so I, I've always said this. I've always said, listen, I'll try anything once. Now, I may not have seconds, but I'll try anything once. And so I said, yeah, I'll do it. And, and then they brought out a dish called balut. <laughs> now, you may, not, you may not know what balut is, but balut is a fertilized duck egg I believe it's 17-day-old fertilized duck egg with a duck embryo inside the egg that they boil and then eat out of the shell. And so I'm actually going to show you a picture of one, but let me warn you, if you have a weak stomach, turn away from the screen right now. I'll tell you when it's safe to look again, but I want you to, to, to just take a moment look away because it's not pretty. This is Balut. As you can see, it's not exactly a delight to look at. It's, it's, it's like something out of a nightmare. The, the, now, the truth is, it really didn't taste all that bad. It's not the taste. It's having to look at it that makes it hard to swallow. Okay, if you've been looking away from your screen, you, you can look back now. I remember standing there after they explained the proper way to, to eat balut and and I was, I was looking at this thing. It was just horrible looking. And I was about ready to eat it because I'd promised I would. I was going to go through with it. And I remember thinking, Lord, I know that you, that you satisfy my mouth with good things. But this is not one of them. <laughs> anyway, you know, it's in moments like that that you need to learn to praise God. Look at the second part of verse 5. He says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. You know, you know, David is one of those people, and there are, there are many people like this in the world today. David was one of those people that had no childhood. You know, events, circumstances, other people's sins, history. There are people that their childhood is just stolen from them. And, and David, you know, he was taken from the bosom of his mother as a young lad, and, and he was uh, plunged into a, a veritable maelstrom of controversy that engulfed him the rest of his life. I mean, he was a pre-adolescent when he, when he killed Goliath, not even old enough to be in the army, yet from that moment on, he walked with kings and with giants 
David had no youth. David had no real childhood. David was old all his life. There are other people like this that, that live like that, either through the design of God or, 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 to, or by the design of the devil, through difficulty, through hardship. You know, the, the little girl that was, that's been molested by a family member when she's five, she has no childhood left. Her childhood has been stolen. At some point, she encounters the unfailing love of God, and God begins to resupply the suppleness of youth. I'm finding that this is a principle of, of spirit-filled living. I, I, I know people that, that are in their 60s and 70s and 80s and maybe even 90s that are sold out to God and full of the Holy Spirit and faith who are the happiest and, and most praising and, and joyful, the most youthful people that I know. Now, I'm not talking young. Young is nothing. Young is here and gone just like that. I'm talking about youthful. I know people in their 80s that are the most energetic, exciting people to be around. They're just filled with joy unspeakable. And I love to be around them. It makes them attractive. You know, their youth is renewed. They're just ready to go. They're exciting. I'm just telling you that there is something about praise that renews our youth. And I'm not saying it makes us younger. I don't want to be younger. I was, I was an idiot when I was young. I don't want to be younger. Nevertheless, I want to be more youthful with God's power every year that I live. And, and as I get older, I want to get more youthful. Look at verse 6. The Lord does righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He's saying to himself, I don't have to defend myself against Saul. I don't have to plead my case. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to, to arise and plead for justice. I, I, God will take care of me. If I've been wronged, let God handle it. You know, several years ago, I was in a church, and there were a few people that didn't like what we were trying to do in the church. And it just it was one of those seasons of life where it just seemed like it didn't matter what I did, it was going to be wrong. And I remember uh, thinking that maybe I should just take the bull by the horns and I should confront the situation and confront some of the people. And as, but as I began thinking about that, the Holy Spirit began to deal with me. And he showed me that by, that by defending myself, that I, I would end up taking all my time and, 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 it would, and all my energy and it would leave me with no time in, or, and no energy to, to pursue the vision that God had given me. So I made a decision right then and there. I decided that I was going to let God be my defender. The, the Lord does righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. I'm not going to dissipate my energies or waste my ministry defending myself. Listen, if you're right, uh, 10,000 people saying you're wrong won't change it. And if you're wrong, convincing everybody that you're right won't change it. Let God handle it. Let God handle it. This, this is what I've learned. When that old locomotive begins to, to rumble through town at 3 o'clock in the morning and the engine is just roaring and the, and the, uh, the air horn is blaring as loud as can be, that there are these little dogs that run out of, in the yard and they start yapping at the train. Yap, 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 yap. You know what I've noticed? I have noticed this. I have noticed that they don't stop the train to shoo the dogs. <laughs> They don't stop the train. They just keep a rolling right along. Let the little dogs bark. David has now generated faith and enthusiasm in his heart. 
He began with the most practical, practical thing he could think of. He began to rehearse in his mind the good things God had done for him in the past. And listen, you know, that's why it's good for us to hear other people share their testimonies. You hear about uh, that, that story that they share and it goes into your com the computer bank of your mind. And, 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 you know, then one night you're pacing the floor holding a baby that has a raging fever in your arms and suddenly your, your mind recalls that moment and you, and you say, I remember when Mrs. Wilson testified in church that she prayed to God in the middle of the night for, with a feverish baby and God healed her child and faith begins to rise within your heart. That's what David is doing here. He's trying to get praise cranked up. You know, I've never seen one in person, uh, but, but I've seen pictures of those automobile, old automobiles that instead of starting with the key, or now you don't even have to have a key, you just push a button, you know, but, but instead of having something like that, you had to go around to the front of the car and you had a bar that you had to insert in the front and then you, you had to crank them to start it. Well, here's my question. When you put that bar in the front of the car and crank it, does it start every time on the first crank? No, no, it doesn't. What do you do then? Do you, do you throw the bar down and say, well, I guess it's not going to start today. No, no, you do it again and again and again and again and again until it starts. That's what David is doing here in Psalm 103. He's saying, let's get this thing going. Let's jumpstart this thing. Let's crank her up. He, he starts reminding himself of some good things that God has done for him in the past. And listen, if you begin to get down to the dumps and you begin to wallow in self-pity, then that's the moment you need to step back from a, a little bit from it and you need to remind yourself of times when God has done great things in your life. I remember that time when I had this problem and I prayed about it and God uh, came through for me I, I remember that time when my child was sick and I prayed for her and God healed her I remember that time when when I didn't know how I was going to make ends meet I didn't have enough money to pay the bills and I prayed about it and somehow or another God gave me what I needed at just the right time that's a great way in which you can jump start your praise take time to remember what he's done for you you know then then David moves to another level in verses 8 through 14, David begins to move beyond the good things that God has done. And he reminds himself of the qualities of God himself. Not what God has done, but who God is. Look at verse 8, for example. He says, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in mercy. He, he, he will not always accuse, neither will he keep his anger forever. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God will not, who will not hold his anger against us. Look at verse 10. He does not treat us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Listen, when you're, here's the thing. When you're hiding out in the back of the cave of Adullam and, and everybody hates you and you have nothing to hold on to. And, and, and that moment, the devil's going to come to you and he's going to whisper in your ear. And he's going to say, this is because you sinned. If you had been right with God, you wouldn't be in this cave right now. You sinned. Well, that's what Job's friends, Job's friends did, didn't it? Wasn't it? And I'm going to tell you something now. There, there are voices in the 
charismatic and Pentecostal world today that will tell you that if you are right with God, that if you say it right, if you just confess it right, if you hold your mouth right, if you stand right, if you do it right, then you won't ever wind up in the cave of Adullam. Now listen, my dear friends, that, that sounds good on the radio, but the problem is it doesn't line up with the whole counsel of God or with the testimony of, of the saints or with, or with Scripture. It's, it's just simply, I'll give you a theological word for this, it's, it's hogwash. The reality is that from time to time, God has always allowed His greatest saints to go through tough times. Because it's in the tough times that our character is shaped. I learn more about God in the tough times than I do in the good times. You know, God, God gives you the good times. Thank God for the good times. But he gives us the good times so that we can relax and rest and we can recuperate and we can be edified and we can be restored. Why? Because there's another tough time coming. And that's good. That's good because if you don't ever pump any iron, you're, not, you're never going to develop any muscles. You know, I'm just, I'm tired of this weak, weak needs, soft, jellyfish, selfish, whiny, modern Christianity that just simply says, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. You know, the thing is, while we're bellying up, bellying up to the blessing bar, let's remind ourselves that that's how people get fat and lazy. You know, instead of that, what we need to be praying, we need to be praying, God, strengthen me. God, strengthen me. But the problem is you can't handle that if you're constantly afraid that God's whooping you because you deserve it. You have to know that God is good. You have to have that settled before you get in the tough times. Otherwise, every time you hit a bad spot, the devil's going to whisper in your ear and he's going to say to you, say to you, you're going through this because you deserve it. You've been bad. You know, we've all heard the song. We think it's a children's song, but it's really not. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Well, there's another verse that I've heard. I don't know if it's an official verse or not, but I've heard it sung this way. I love this verse. It says, Jesus loves me when I'm bad, even though it makes him sad. See, see, I can get that theology. I can understand that. That means something to me. But, but if every time I do something bad, every time I sin, Jesus says, well, you miserable little clump of mud. <laughs> wow, that's a tough God. Well, no, here's what I've learned. It's in the tough times that I need to reassure myself that God is not dealing with me according to my sins and he's not repaying me according to my iniquities. Oh, if he does, oh no. Oh no. I mean, if, if you think the cave of Adullam was bad, just, just wait. Oh no. It's like a Methodist minister I heard about and went to the annual conference where they read out the appointments. That's, that's where they would tell the ministers where they were going to serve during the next year as the Methodist church would, they assign ministers to different churches. And, and he was there at that and he saw a lady he hadn't seen for a number of years. And, and she, in conversation, she said, are, are you moving this year? And he said, uh, yes, I'm moving, but there's, there's been some sort of mix up in the appointments and I haven't heard from the bishop as to where I'm going. And she looked at him and she said, well, well, I, I hope you get the church you deserve. And he heard that and he said, no, no. He said, I don't want the church I deserve. I've seen that church. Never, never, ever, ever, 
ask God for what you deserve. No, no, no. I want grace. Grace is not something I deserve. Grace is undeserved favor. That's what I want from him. And David, in this moment, he takes time to remind himself that God is good. He he said the situation is bad. The circumstances are are tough. He said there are bad times, but he says that has not changed God. God is good. Now, this is very important. Listen, uh, Samuel Logan Bringle, great Salvation Army evangelist, he was talking one time. He said that he learned that when he was a little boy, if his dad ever said that he was going to get a licking, that, that there was no politicking, there was no bargaining, there was no way out of it. You, if he said you were going to get a licking, it was coming. And he said that he, he, he learned over time, he said he learned that if he tried to run, that his dad, his father with those big long arms would be able to reach out and grab him by the, by the back of his collar uh, and, and he could not get away. But all that accomplished when he tried to run was that it, it allowed his dad to get a full swing on him. And so he, he learned over the years, he, he said the, he learned that the moment his dad said he was going to get a licking, that he would run directly at his dad, he would lock his arms around his waist. He, he learned that his father couldn't get the angle on him that way. Well, when you're going through tough times, yeah, sure, go ahead. Ask God to reveal to you any sin that you may have committed. But when you hear your father say, I love you, that's all the answer you need. Lock your arms around his waist and praise him. You know, some, some of you don't like this. I, I, I'm telling you the, the, the truth, though. Sometimes God leads us into the valley of the shadow of death. It's not always the devil. Quit blaming everything on the devil. Sometimes God says, I love you so much, son, take my hand and follow me into this valley. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to grow you. I'm going to strengthen you through this. But now David goes even beyond that. Now it's really beginning to flow. Verses 15 through 19, David goes beyond the goodness of God and beyond uh, talking about who he is, and he, and he begins to get a vision of his shared eternity with God. Look at what he says, verse 15. As for man, his days are, are, uh, his days are as grass, as a flower on the, of the field he flourishes, for the hot wind passes over it and it is gone. The place where it, wa- where it was is not known. Now, look, here's David hiding out in a lonely cave. And as far as he knows, everybody in the world has turned against him. He says to himself, a flower springs up from the ground. And when it does, it's gone. And the ground where it sprouted doesn't even remember it was there. And he says to himself, what if I died in this cave? I wonder if there's anyone, if there's a single person that would mourn me. I mean, his, his, he's thinking maybe my, my father and my mother, they may be saying, well, I'm glad this crazy kid is gone. We're, we're hiding out in Moab. We've lost the family farm. Uh, all he ever did was talk about killing bears and lions with his bare hands. And he came home from the battlefield with some cockamamie story about killing giants. He's been nothing but trouble since the, since the day he was born I'm glad he's gone and his wife is living with another man somewhere for all he knows nobody in the world would care if he lived or died he said I'm, I'm like a flower that springs up in the dirt and when it's gone the dirt doesn't even remember it 
You know, I wonder if there aren't folk living in nursing homes that say to themselves, my nephew is the only living member of my family and hasn't been here to see me in six weeks. And if I died right now, I wonder if anybody would even care. And David says, verse 17, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him and his righteousness to, to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and to those who remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. David says, I don't know if anyone will, will mourn my death or, or remember me after I'm gone, but I have a share in eternity. He said, my God is from everlasting to everlasting. The, the, he says, the world's kingdoms are never really mine. Maybe the prophecy of Samuel that Samuel spoke over my life when he anointed me with oil and laid his hands on my head, maybe that's never going to come to pass. Maybe I will never uh, sit on the throne of Israel, but I will sit, sit with him in heavenly places. That's when that woman laying in the nursing home has to catch hold of her soul and say, I wish I could walk out of this nursing home. I wish I could be 19 again. I wish I could be strong. But if I never see the outside of this nursing home again, I know that my God is from everlasting to everlasting and his mercy is under my children and my children's children. Uh, God knows who I am. He understands my frail frame. He knows that I'm made of dust. And I know that I have a share in his eternity that transcends all that is here in this moment. See, look at this verse now in verse 17 and 18. I want to show you something. Now, I don't want to play games with Scripture, but just watch this now. The, the punctuation marks that you see in English, they're not there in Hebrew. This is the way it reads in the English, in the modern English version. It says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, comma, to those who keep his covenant and to those who remember to do his, his commandments, period. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all, period. That's the way it reads in English. Now, take the comma out between verses 17 and 18 and put a period there. And read it like this. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, period. To those who keep his covenant and to those who remember to do his commandments, comma, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. What does that sound like? You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like Ephesians to me. Ephesians 2, 16, Paul said, and he raised us up and sealed, seated us together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, we can get up above the circumstances, up ab above the situation. We, we can gain the, the vantage point of eternity. We can look down on these things and we begin to see our life and our circumstances differently. And the, the day that that last trumpet sounds and that we rise to meet him in the air, casting off immortality and drawing, excuse me, casting off mortality and drawing on immortality, when we see him face to face, in that moment, do you realize that you, you won't even give a thought to whether or not you paid off your mortgage. All the things that loom so huge to you right now will not even occur to you. When we, when we get an eternal seat with an eternal God, we'll, 
We'll laugh at ourselves. We'll look down uh, uh, on it and we'll say, man, you know, when I was 16, I ran for student body president of student council and some other guy got it. And I just thought my world was over. And now here I am. I walk on streets of gold and I dance with angels and I'm looking at the face of Jesus. We'll laugh. We'll laugh. We'll say, I'm amazed that I ever even gave it a second thought. David begins to get a view of his share of attorney, but now, now look what happens in verse 20. We're just about finished. Bless the Lord, you his angels who are mighty and do his commands and obey the voice of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all you his host, you servants who do his pleasure. Wow. Wow. I mean, David begins this psalm just trying to get himself in a mind of praise, and he ends the psalm ordering angels around. He says, All right, angels. You praise God. Bless the Lord, you his angels. Worship God. He, he begins to sense that he is caught up in a transcendent spiritual reality that, that in praise and worship, he, he has actually reached into to, to take part into a thing that is not of this world. That, that when we praise God, we are actually penetrating the veil of the parallel universe. That in worship, I'm a part of something that is already going on in heaven with the angels and with the archangels and with the whole company of, of heaven. When I worship, I'm doing the same thing that's happening in, happening in heaven right now. I'm acting in a way that is heavenly. David is in touch with the angelic power in praise. Look at the next verse, verse 22. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Waves of the ocean, raise your hands and clap for joy. Waves of grain, wave your arms to the eternal God. Trees of the field sway in the breath of his nostrils. I mean, that's what Jesus was talking about, wasn't it? Luke 19, 40. I tell you, if these should be silent, the stones would immediately cry out. He said, do you want me to tell these people to, to be silent and to cease their praise? They're doing what the entire universe is doing. He said, if I command them to stop praising, if I command them to be quiet, then nature is going to cry out. The universe is worshiping him. Listen, the scene is all around us. We're the ones that are deaf and blind. We're the ones that can't see it. God is creative and powerful and rich and without limitations upon his resources. And the flower says, God made me. And the flower in that moment is more eloquent than Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, ever was. The dirt that we hold in our hands says, all right, scientist, if you're so smart, make dirt out of nothing. And if someone somewhere in some flash of brilliance says, all right, I have, here's some dirt that I made, then the skin on my hand says, well done, scientist. Now shape that into a man and breathe onto it and cause it to live. David sees that he is caught up in a sphere that God has created. This is my father's world. And to my listening ears all nature sings. And round me rings the music of the spheres. And then David ends the whole chapter. By saying again bless the Lord. Oh my soul. I don't know about you. But I have, to, I have a feeling. 
that that last bless the Lord is a little different than the first bless the Lord. He's doing the same thing, but now it's flowing. Now it's rich. Now he's worshiping. And you know, that's the place to which we can travel when we praise him through our hard times. And this time in history, with all the things that are going on, the fear, the anxiety, the, the, the confusion, all the things that are happening with this coronavirus, I want you to know, in the middle of it all, you can find power through praise. That no matter what you're faced with, maybe it's not that, maybe it's other situations in your life, maybe, maybe it's uh, you've lost your job because of this, the, everything that's happening and you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. I want you to know your source is not the government. Your source is the Lord God. You can praise Him because He, he has never allowed His children to go begging for bread. Maybe it's something else going on. Maybe it's a, another sickness. Maybe it's other problems in your life. But I want you to know in the midst of it all, remember what he has done. Remember who he is. And remember that you have a place in eternity with him. And let that be, give you a new perspective. Begin to praise him in the middle of your storm. And you'll find power. You'll find power for life. Pray together with me. Father, I pray for everyone watching this right now. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what's happening in their life. But, but I do know, Lord Jesus, that there are many times when it's hard to praise you. And God, if, there's, if there are those that are watching this, that everything is great, and Lord, I praise you for that. I thank you for that. But I pray, Lord, that they'll remember this moment because there is a day when it won't be easy. And Lord, there are some that are watching this that are going through unimaginable circumstances. It's the hardest time in their life that they've ever faced. God, I pray that in this moment they'd make a decision, that they would grab the bootstraps of their soul and they will command their soul and say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. That they will make that choice, that they will begin to praise you. And in their praise, you will unleash the power of heaven in their lives. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. And we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.